Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. We have a couple of special guests today. Today is a uh, double duo podcast where we're really excited to have both Darren Sager and Ben Labovich. I, uh, I hope Ben's okay with us putting him second because he made a big point that he was going to take control of the podcast today and steer us. So we're, <laughs> we're ready to go. We got a lot of exciting activity. We find ourselves both in Darren. I was, was going to say, should I actually say something now? Because <laughs> chances are this will probably be my only chance for me to speak. Because it probably for like the next half hour or so, it's just going to be Ben with diarrhea of the mouth just going on about his book. <laughs> I think we gave you 140 characters, right? That's what you get on this show today? There you go. Perfect. Perfect. Well, How are you guys doing? Here, guys. You having fun in Hawaii? Oh, yes. We're actually also taping from Hawaii. Um, it's been it's been amazing. No, no, no. We're taping from Arizona, baby. Arizona. <laughs> Hawaii is just like, a, you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's always a second thought. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we get back into real estate? So, Ben, how did you get started in real estate? I was just young and stupid. <laughs> what can I say? You know, who wasn't right? No, I mean, I had a, I had a medical diagnosis. I I which kind of like you know, if you can't work, it's kind of hard to, you know, do the money thing, and and so if you can't. Tr you know, trade your time for money, then you got to trade something else for money because ultimately you got to trade something for money. So real estate just happened to make sense to me. It was a vehicle that happened to make sense to me. And, and so that's, that's how I became a student of it. Probably the same way that Darren did. I mean, he came out of corporate America, but probably for the same reasons, you know, for me, it was health. I'm lucky because, you know, the universe kind of punched me in the face and it's like, how do you argue? Right. Uh, when your hands and arms don't do what they're supposed to do and your, your, your legs and stuff, you know? So it's kind of like, it's not a choice anymore. You got to do something drastic. Um, you know, I always tell, tell people that, you know, I'm, I'm lucky about that because if I had a good career and was making good money, making the choice to go the other way, to go against the grain, I don't know if I was strong enough to do that. Honestly, I don't know if I was entrepreneurial enough, if I was strong enough, if I would have left a good paying salary. So I have a lot of respect for people who actually do that, uh, leave their good education and their good salary and, and go dive into the unknown. For me, it was an easy decision because I didn't have an, another choice. For somebody like Darren, for instance, it was a much more difficult decision because he had plenty of choices. Oh, it's amazing. And yeah, I, I guess one of the things here that I, I'll, I'll throw back on you is that you, you sound like what happened would have given you so many reasons just to, to crawl up in a, you know, in the fetal position and just say, I, oh, I can't do anything. And that, that's a lot what happens with our listeners. They find an excuse, no matter how small, not to, not to get out there and take any action. Well, and the funny thing is I did. I went through that phase. That's like natural to human existence, right? I mean, yes. you, go, you go through these periods and cycles, whatever, whatever you want to call them. But like any notion of me saying so debonairly, like, oh, it was no big deal. You know, I had the struggle and I just, it was easy. I just went this way instead of that. No, that would be, I'd be lying. You know, it, it wasn't 
like that. It wasn't easy and it was very scary. And I tried to talk myself out of it many times. I still do. Last time was last night. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, people look at this and, you know, sometimes read my story and think, oh my goodness, I can't do that. Well, shit, I barely did it. I barely did it. It was like, <laughs> plus you did it in the middle of nowhere. I didn't know nowhere. Armpit of the world. <laughs> well, you're in Arizona today. I guess just give a little context. You you first started your investing career. You were in Lima, Ohio. Lima, which Ohio. is a nice town. It's a nice town. It's it's you know, it's it's the quintessential uh, industrial Midwest that is unfortunately dying. It's it's a dying breed, you know, and so you have no growth, you have no you know, all the things that we want, um, in real estate to make it, to make it go to make, you know, good restaurants. We had some, but you know, <laughs> picking is slim, you know, <laughs> you know, we had a lot of corn though. Okay. <laughs> Most okay. of it in the field. <laughs> all right. You can walk out and pick some corn. That yeah. was the primary benefit okay. of each of your rentals. That's, that's what you do. Everybody gets eight years a week. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, but you know, it was, it was a small town and we moved because we wanted more for our life, you know? Um, but for, you know, for a decade, whatever it was, 15, it, it was good. It was fine. But that, that can easily, and I don't know that we want to in this podcast, but that can easily bring you into the conversation of balance sheet versus the income statement, because obviously in depressed Midwest, you can buy property, uh, for a lot less per door than you can elsewhere. So you are, if you buy correctly, you can get better cash flow. However, you're not building wealth because there's no appreciation. So you're not building wealth. So what is it are you after? Are you after the income statement or are you after the balance sheet? And of course, the formula is both. Mm -hmm. uh, really, once you've been at this for a decade, like Darren and I, or 20 years, like Darren and I, well, 12 years for me. Um, so that's what makes New Jersey such a great place to invest, right, Ben? Because you get a combination of both. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to talk. We, we discussed this. He was I'm like waiting to jump in here. I, yeah. I mean, I can even see no, Jason is, like just waiting, like, oh my God, am I going to get a word in at all? <laughs> no, but well, why, why, why this? I'm sorry. Have you both talking? How did you guys meet? Uh, we met through bigger pockets. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, we met through Brandon. So okay. Brandon was uh, a good, well, he is a good friend for me and a good friend for, in fact, we have a three-way text go and probably had it for years, every single morning. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We all, we all text every single day in like one group text. So Darren gets up first, right on the East coast. Uh -huh. So like, and Brandon, I don't know what time it is over there when you get up, but he just doesn't get up. I mean, that's just a Brandon <laughs> thing. <laughs> He's up by 11 o'clock. When the guy got you done is, uh, I don't know. So we met through bigger pockets. Yes. Uh, and through, uh, through Brandon Turner and started talking and it was just uh, liked each other, gained respect for each other. And, and there, there it goes. That's years back. Right. And, and I could have, I have to say that Ben's not an easy person to make friends with. Shut up. 
because number one, he's Russian. And number two, he's got this thick, hard shell, like one of the, like one of those like Russian doll things that you just have to keep on getting to. to like, yeah, that's right. So it's like you finally, after like 90 times, actually get to the real Ben. And, and then, you know, it's like little Ben, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys both have, you have your investing strategies. Ben started in Ohio. Darren, Darren, of course, has been in New Jersey and now Ben has moved to Arizona. If you guys would compare your investing strategies, what do you guys agree on and what do you both disagree on? Yes. Go of course you want to go first. <laughs> go ahead. Go first. <laughs> well, I, I think over time, I think originally you were investing and correct me if I'm wrong, but just actually let me finish here. Uh, you were investing primarily for cash flow to replace income for your family. And I know with myself that it was a combination of both that I was looking for cash flow and appreciation. And I think over time now, you've really moved into understanding that model. And I, I, I guess right now, you're also looking to make sure that you can actually do that model more so here than you could do in Ohio. Right. And that's, that's, that's partially true. So I've always been selective, right? Um, of course he has to correct me. I was in a small town, but like I have a course, it's called CFFU. And what I teach people is exactly that. You can't buy something just because it's cheap or just because on paper, it looks like cash flow. Before I knew what economic losses are, when we underwrite syndications, of course, you have your LTL, you have your bad debt, you have your... I intuitively sensed those paper losses, those phantom losses that are very real, very real dollars, but they don't teach you that. They teach you, oh, just plug in 10% vacancy factor and you're done, right? Well, you know, by the time you plug in the 10% vacancy factor, your economic loss is another 15%. You're running at 75% economic uh, occupancy. That kind of stuff I didn't know in the beginning, but I sensed that it was there. So I always knew even in a subpar location, you have to pick out the best of the best that you could. So it, I shouldn't say always, it took me a few purchases to start figuring this out. And what I figured out is that solid cash flow always resides on solid appreciation because for the same reason a property is going to appreciate, mm -hmm. the, 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 the desirability factors that mm -hmm. will force the property to appreciate will also force your cash flow to be stable with the least economic loss, with most probability of appreciation, things like that. So I bought solid buildings. They were in an armpit of a Midwest town, okay, fundamentally. But I always bought, I tried to buy really good, as good as I could buy that would protect my equity. I'm doing that at a much higher level now, but still. So, so can I sum that up in three words? What fun would that be? Well, location, <laughs> location, location, right? That's true. Yes. Yeah, so but, just, but, yeah. but it's interesting because you can't overdo it. If mm -hmm. you overdo the location, you pick up economic losses on the backside. So it's, it's, we're not all Trump. We can't all do what, what he does. Right. So it, it's an interesting and an involved, as you know, conversation about that. But I think to your original question, we don't disagree on anything. I have a lot of respect for what Darren does. I can't imagine myself flipping houses. Uh, you know, upscale million dollar house, forget it. But I agree with how he does it, uh, totally. Uh, but, you know, I if I have a question along those lines, I will call him. It doesn't mean that, you know, I will do the same model because it's just not my cup of tea. 
I think the same thing is true for him. You know, when it comes to multifamily, he'll call me and ask me the same kind of thing, especially large multifamily. So we agree, mm -hmm. basically, we live in separate, our circles overlap, but we do live kind of on opposite ends a little bit of what we do. And that I think is part of the balance, which, which, sure. you know, it, it makes it a mutually beneficial relationship. And then there's Brandon, cause you have to have the third leg stool, you know, no, and nobody knows what the hell he does. Cause <laughs> it's like, that's a, that's like an enigma. Uh, I thought you were going to say that you're going to call me up for like more plumbing questions. Oh, he solved my <laughs> plumbing issue. <laughs> in my casita. It was amazing. We can get into that when we talk about outside. You guys are amazing. One of our, one of our favorite questions to ask is about mentorship. Um, but yeah. it sounds like this, this relationship that you guys have formed between, you know, both of you and Brandon is its own form of mentorship. And it's, it's, it's definitely like goes into what people say about like the people that you surround yourself with. You guys definitely. have definitely surrounded yourself with the best people. I, it's definitely a, a real estate love triangle. <laughs> I, 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 in the very I, best way. You guys, I wouldn't call it love. Yeah, I don't love real estate. I keep trying to tell people, you know, everybody's so excited. And right now, real estate's sexy, right? Everybody wants to be in real estate. Mm -hmm. And for me, real estate is a tool. It serves a purpose. It fulfills a need, right? So if you want to you get yourself a job, get good at syndicating because that's not investing. If you're syndicated, that's a job. That's a financial services job. If you, if, you know, if you want passive cash flow, get good at buying passive cash flow or building a website platform that can give you a lot of cash flow to sell. I mean, it's, it's a tool that you have to have in the mix in the portfolio because of taxes, because of cost segregation, because of a lot of those things. But like, I don't need more real estate than what I need. I needed to do what it needs to do. And that's that because I'm interested in other things. Sure. And, and with that said, when you moved to Arizona, did you sell everything you had in Ohio or wh where did your direction go and, and where are yeah, you? Yeah, I sold a few before we left. I st I'm still holding on my portfolio in Ohio. I have systematized property management to where it's possible. Um, I do not have a property management in company involved because the project isn't big enough at this point with me having sold, you know, some, some units, um, nor did I, I mean, I, I had a, I had a crew before I left and I have a property manager that worked for me for, you know, close to a decade now. So it's, it was kind of an easy thing. Um, when people ask about turnkeys and how easy it is to manage, you know, it's one thing for me after 12 years, uh, exiting, having all of the infrastructure in place and all of the people in place and on speed dial. It's one thing for me to exit and the portfolio still runs versus if I try to buy new stuff and I'm not there. So that, that for that, you got to go large multifamily to have really proficient and professional property management in place, payroll personnel on site. So you, you got to do it right at that point. If you know, if you're going to be long distance, but, um, I still have my stuff in Ohio and it's working out pretty well. I mean, I don't want to hold on to it forever, but for now, it's working pretty well. But the plan is to... Yeah, the plan is I'm eventually yeah. probably going to obviously need to sell. The best and of it and get going out here. Redeploy, yeah. Because here's where the jobs are. That's right. 2% year-over-year growth. Yeah. Intel, yeah. what else? What other companies are here? Everything. You got PayPal, you got Wells Fargo, you got every kind of tech. Forget it. 
So what would be a a point that you said it's time to sell? What would something that's going to stand out and that's going to be the trick? When I got something else to roll the money into. There you go. Okay. I mean, like, you know, the thing is, uh, I did a a cost segregation study on one of my buildings. I held it off my books for about three years, having paid for it. Well, last year I deployed, I got so much depreciation to shield my income that I can't sell the building now until that runs down, maybe three or four years. You know, that'd be kind of stupid to, you know, it's free money. So at this point, and I'm holding this building and if I'm holding that building, I might as well hold everything around it. So I might sell another one in the next year and then get everything sold within two or three years or something like that. But I'm not in a hurry. You know, Well, it sounds like at this point we could talk about so many different avenues of real estate, but why don't we go into one that is near and dear to your heart? You wrote a book on it. Could you expound on that a little bit? Uh-oh. I wrote a book. Yeah, just put all your pens down and uh, might as well. Uh... Brandon's been telling me to write a book. You know, I hate, so I hate regurgitating the same stuff, right? I've been writing articles on bigger pockets are, are for you God knows how many years. You hate regurgitating? The I same really stuff? do. Mostly what you, I mean, how many times do I hear the same thing coming out of your mouth about Arizona? That's because you, you can't freaking understand a thing I say. So I have to repeat myself. But, you know, I've been writing on BP on my side forever, right? And I have a course, CFFU, and it's pretty comprehensive. And I had nothing really new to add to the conversation. And I didn't really want to have a conversation until or unless I had something new to add to it. Well, we came to Arizona and I started looking around. Like my options were, do I buy some investment property and take that cash flow bridging into a single family for my family? right? Do I continue renting? Do I, you know, we had some options. We didn't know exactly what to do. And the solution that we came up with, we think is pretty brilliant in, in that it's applicable to a lot of people. We or you? No, we, Mm -hmm. I mean, Patricia. Oh, Patricia. Okay. Oh, she, she was very involved. My, so, okay. So they don't know who Patricia is. Patricia, I'm assuming your wife. My wife. And what <laughs> happens, help, right? what happens, Billy, what happens is um, in the process of a boy building a business, the boy's wife has to necessarily eat a lot of shit. Okay. <laughs> and eventually she reaches a point where she looks out, the boy <laughs> in the eye and she says, no more. I want a nice X and a nice Y and a nice Z. I've paid my dues. You figure it out. So <laughs> we landed. It's a, you know, I could have done a live in flip and I considered it. You know, the market is great here. Growth is great. Population growth is great. Uh, it was a viable proposition, <clears throat> but putting my family in the middle of that, basically a, contra- a construction project didn't appeal to me even or specifically not Patricia and the kids. Um, we looked at your quintessential house hacking. You buy a duplex or a triplex, you know, but the thing of it is, is that and explain you live in one of the units. Well, you live in one of the units and you have the tenant and the other unit pay for them, you know, whatever. Here's the problem that necessarily forces you to downgrade your lifestyle, not to upgrade it. Because why? Because most of the time you're not going to find the type of luxury 
the type of location, the type of finishing textures in a duplex triplex that we came for. We had a nice house in Ohio. It was unfortunately in Ohio, but it was a very nice house. We sold it. We didn't come in here to compress ourselves. We came here to 10X ourselves. That, that, that was the point, okay? So <clears throat> that was, you know, we, we but, but organically, the way I think, I just want somebody else to pay for my shit. I just do. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I just have to be honest. Stuff. You know, it's pay for your stuff. Okay, pay for my stuff. <laughs> it's so foreign for me to say stuff. I know. Well, <laughs> anyhow, so 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 I and and if the duplex isn't going to work because the location is so so and quality is so so. And a single family flip, live in flip isn't going to work because it really impacts the lifestyle that we came looking for. It wasn't purely a business decision, right? I, you know, so we, we needed to find some kind of revenue producing thing that would offset the burn on our house. And we wanted a house in a specific location, a specific kind of house, specific quality of finishing textures. And and the reason we came to Arizona and made the decision very quickly is because we applied to basis charter schools and they accepted the kids. And it's the number one school district in the US. And we just decided that's why we're doing Yes, I wanted the weather and the palm trees and the blue skies. I wanted all that. Yes, I wanted the growth. Yes, I wanted the real estate. But mostly, it just so happens that this charter school, it, you know, without any tuition, you just have to be accepted. And once you get accepted, it is the highest ranked school in the nation. So <clears throat> we needed to be close enough to the school. Just realistically, we weren't going to drive for a half hour to take the kids to school. So we needed to be in a specific XYZ location. Unfortunately, there's like no possibility of a duplex, a triplex in, in a location like this. Uh, and you're pushed into a specific price point to be in a location like this. So <clears throat> we found a solution. Uh, and the solution is teed up by what this area is. And this solution really works for a lot of people. So first of all, it's a very nice house. I think Darren will confirm it's a very nice house. With very Is nice it a nice finishing. house, Darren? Yes, it's a very nice house. <laughs> Outside of the travertine tile. <laughs> Shut up. It's the best part. The travertine tile, dude. Oh, Lord. Dude, I don't understand this. The subway tile that everybody loves and Darren hangs and on everything. In, in the modern areas of the United States. Yes. It is so ugly. It in Russia, ugly. they hung it in freaking subway. That's why it's called subway tile, dude. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I get it. Okay, I don't get it. I, okay, but but that's just me. I think I think that's a fad. I think I think, I think travertine is going to stay. No, travertine was out again like eight years ago. That's because you guys decided to be like French. No, I'm telling you, you need to come to the builder show with me and actually see what <laughs> actually people are buying. This is what I was trying to explain to you. Again, Builder see? Show 2018, see? Orlando, Florida. We're going. <laughs> all right. date. For all of our listeners out there, I'm crying right now. <laughs> you guys are so funny. Right, you, pre- you preview to this now, right? This is this is how this goes. Okay. This is, it's it's a love and a little bit of hate. Well, maybe a little bit of love. <laughs> we know one of one of so, the. So, um, traveling tile and snowboarding like, outside. I love travertine. I really do. I, I think it's it. ageless. And I hung it everywhere in the house. But the oh. point is, the value supported me doing that. That's a separate question. 
So now that see that was smooth. See, Did you see? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I took you right back into the arm and the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, now like, we know what it we're was like about. a spoonful of castor oil followed by a <laughs> spoonful of sugar. Right. <laughs> okay. Enough of you, Darren. Back to Ben. <laughs> um, anyhow, so here's what we got: Phoenix MSA. If you look at why people come here, why people move here, you clearly identify several things. You have retirement draw. This is a huge, Arizona is a huge retiree community. Uh, you have a lot of tech moving from California, moving from all over the place. Uh, you have, um, you know, other infrastructure supporting the tech. The entire Phoenix MSA, you know, the, the, 75% of the highways didn't exist, exist 20 years ago. I mean, it's all brand new, brand new infrastructure. Okay. So if you combine those two things, you arrive at this concept where, Hey, he's moving to work for, you know, whatever tech company, uh, his dad has passed away. His mom is coming along. She needs her own kind of place. It doesn't need to be like a full on place, but she needs some privacy. So some of the builders are cognizant of this and they're building footprints that include something called casita, which is essentially a mother-in-law suite attached to the house. And the, you know, the good ones, quite private. You have a courtyard in between. It's, a, it's like a horseshoe. It's attached to the garage on the other side. And, you know, it's quite private. So when I saw this, I realized that on the one hand, I'm dealing with a single family, which means it's not a multifamily. It's a single family. Now, I may use it a little bit creatively, but it is a single family, which means the best financing options, so the lowest down payment options, the lowest interest rate, okay? You have the best uh, basically of both worlds. And on the other hand, I have this mother-in-law suite, which if I throw it on Airbnb, considering I'm in a resort destination, high travel location, there you go. And that's basically what I did. Um, and there are many benefits to going with short-term rentals. For instance, I would not ever, you know, I don't know how many evictions people have done. Your listeners have done. I've done a lot. And I would not want to post that pay or quit on somebody who's living next door to me. I just wouldn't. That's not part of what I see like my nirvana in life. I don't want to do that. Okay. I've seen those go, those go very badly uh, a number of times. And it's, that's not something I want right next door to my family. Well, in a, in a Airbnb rental like this in a casita, they're gone in five days and I never, ever have to see them again. Even if I don't like them, I never have to see them again. So there's never any, like I take the risk of, you know, a lot of times people think 12 month lease is safer because you know, your income is stable. Well, <clears throat> I think the other way, I think money is made going against the grain. Right? So I think 12 month lease ties you in. It's a two way street. You can't get rid of them so easy. Do I want that next door to me? No. So I'm more comfortable with Airbnb. Not only that, but then you have velocity of money concept. You know, the money moves a lot faster. You make a lot more of it in the, in the short period of time. And this is what my case study has proven. And basically I wrote a book about it because it can work for so many people, people in high price markets can really benefit from it. Um, I did a podcast with Jake and Gino, and Gino goes like, dude, I'm moving. I'm moving to, I can't remember what he said, dude, Florida, I Florida, think. Yeah. Uh, he's like, this is my idea of buying a million dollar house. Did, 
Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It works, right? Uh, so high price markets, that's one thing. Newbies, they look at me like I fell out of a freaking tree, okay? Because <laughs> Brandon tell them to buy a duplex, so they're going to buy a duplex. The most scary part about getting real estate is managing tenants. That's the, and it's the largest learning curve and it's the scariest thing about this. This alleviates the whole problem because you're using somebody else's system. Don't you now have a different animal now in the fact that since you have short-term rentals, there's going to be aspects of it, which are totally different from getting someone in there from a long-term aspect. You're going to have to clean up after them, arrange cleaning service or whatever. Yes, but who do I attract? That's the other point. That's why I went luxury. Who can afford to spend $250 a night for a hotel room? I want them for $85 or $95 a night. They will pay me a discounted rate because what I have is equally good to that $250 hotel, but they don't have to pay me as much. But who do I get? I get people that can afford to spend $250 a night. Am I likely to have problems? The kind of problems we have with our tenants with that type of person. That's the whole point. I even wrote in the book, I, I, I did the math in the book. I could have bought a cheaper house. I could have found a house that wasn't as nice. I couldn't have made the casita as nice because the value wasn't there, wouldn't have been there to support that. But then who would I attract? How much can I get from them? And what is my likely economic loss projection? And at the end of the day, I would have made the same money or less living in a lesser house than what I can make here living in a much nicer house. So people don't think about that. People don't think about the dynamics. It's the top line projected revenue is just a small piece of this pie. There's a lot of forces to work on. So let me ask you one question past that. Is that now now with some of the pushback coming from some of the hotels, do, do you see any concerns with short-term rental laws being passed or taxes being inserted or, or different variables that may affect your, your projections? So, so my perspective on it is very simple. Taxes are going to go up. Mm-hmm. Regulations are going to tighten up, uh, as they should in both cases. That's fine. But if you are telling me that this is going to be outlawed, I am moving to Venezuela (laughs) at that point. You know, this is free market at its best. Not only that, but here I am, a guy who is looking at property values going up and up and up at a clip of five, seven percent per year incomes staying virtually stagnant at a loss if you choose to do the numbers right. And instead of standing with our hands stretched, begging for a gift, we're being entrepreneurial. We're buying a home. We're bringing a product to the market. The joke could be on us. If we do a bad job, we will lose. But we're not asking for a handout. We're be, we're, this is America at the end of the day. Okay. Now, there's a reason I picked Arizona. In Arizona, the governor just passed a law that it's illegal to do exactly what you're saying. Uh, because in Arizona, people, it's a conservative state and people understand. Now, you still have HOA issues, you have HOA risk, but you have risk with every business proposition. So you have to assume and, and, and allocate for and be okay with some amount of risk. Okay. And the bottom line is if this runs for a couple of years, it's going to pay me back for the rehab completely on the entire house and, and the house is appreciating in the meantime. So, you know, push comes to shop, boom, I'm out of here. 
So if something does happen, though, it's still you're in a single family house, which has a greater chance of reselling anyway in the marketplace. This is exactly it. This is why I didn't want to go for a primary residence into multifamily because your audience look completely different. My resale is not pegged on income here. This is an SFR. Somebody is going to come in and look at my casita and see an office. They're not going to see a casita the way I use it. They're going to see an office. And I'm just fine with that because in this environment today, where the multifamily is versus single family, I, I want to be in a single family in this situation. One of the great proponents with it, too, is it's honestly it, for an entry level investor who maybe is scared to get that duplex because they're so worried about managing a tenant and then they're going to have a vacant unit with this approach you could just have an office. If you end up deciding that this doesn't work for you, you're not stuck with just a vacant unit. You still have your well, single family house. Yeah, you. My friend is here. He's here for eight days, whatever, nine days. I got a place. There my parents want to come visit. I got a place. I mean, it's not like this thing is void of, of functionality, you know? And if I needed to place a long-term tenant in it, I could, I just wouldn't make as much money. So, you know, I don't do it yet. And, you know, I'd have to be okay with the risks that come with long-term leases, which I prefer, again, as we discussed, to stay away from. But the functionality is there to do so many things. And there are risks because there are risks with everything. If you think you're going to buy yourself a duplex in Toledo and uh, go manage it, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> That's right. Well, it sounds like your life in real estate has taken a bunch of different turns. Where do you think it's going to turn next? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm always looking, I'm uh, always doing something. I'm doing something right now that I want to talk about. I'm doing a couple of some things right now. I don't want to talk about, oh. but, uh, again, real estate is a tool, right? Whatever problem you're trying to solve, you can look at real estate and ask yourself, how can this resolve that particular hardship or problem or whatever? Um, also, we need to understand that just like markets have cycles, investors have cycles. And so something that's going to be right for me tomorrow is not even something that I can possibly think of today, uh, just based on my intellectual worth and where it was and where it's going to be and, you know, versus where it is today. So, and, you know, I don't speculate, syndicating, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It, it, that's just dynamics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know uh, you both are on a timeline there this morning, so we want to be respectful of your time. So I guess one of the questions we'd love to ask is, <clears throat> Darren, you gave us a little context on you, but we'd love a follow-up as well. Is for someone who's just looking to start their real estate journey, we, Ben, you gave us a nice approach about this, but what would be some vital pieces that you would add to someone who is maybe scared to just, just sure. step off the ledge? Sure. So let me, let me take a step back and give you some numbers and you guys are multifamily people. So you'll understand. Mm -hmm. So seven months into this casita, I'm sitting at about a little over $9,000 of cash flow after everything. Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm going to finish the year at 15,000. I, I would be shocked if I didn't finish the year 15,000. Now you got to ask yourself, what is it going to take in terms of net operating income? 
in a leveraged multifamily acquisition to get to $15,000 of cash flow, probably about $45,000 of NOI is what it's going to take for you to pay your bills and end up with $15,000 of cash flow, potentially more. Next step is ask yourself capitalized value on $45,000 of cash flow at a 10 cap is $450,000. You're not getting anything at a 10 cap that's worth having today that's going to stably cash flow 15,000. So if you capitalize that value at eight, seven and a half, which is where it's likely going to be in most places you want to play in, you're talking about spending $600,000. So then for a newbie, the question becomes, do I buy a $600,000 property that is going to be six unit, eight unit, 10 unit, four unit in somewhere, you know, whatever. Do I buy a, 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 a $600,000 property, which is going to necessarily need to be financed commercially, which means 25% down. So it's a big chunk. Okay. Uh, it's necessarily going to have to have five year adjustments, rate adjustments, just because commercial financing is like that, unless you go very big. I can, I can respectfully disagree with you on that because anyone can go in and get a con conventional mortgage. Not over five units. Oh, not over five units. And most okay. likely this but kind of property is going to, for most people listening. If you're in a major metropolitan area, you can do it with a two, three or floor and get a conventional loan. That's true. In a... Someone's got to have well, a hit back you're still gonna have, on something you're, you're here. You're still going right? to have 20, 20 percent. Can't, can't let Ben just run the whole gamut of the show. Like if you buy a duplex that's not owner occupied, no, you're going to be twenty five percent. Okay, so the down payment, right, is still but you're saying, not going to have a five. You're not going to have the, yeah. correct. Okay, so so you can get, but anything over five, obviously, yes, and, and most people five or above, yes, then you're into commercial, absolutely. So right. basically, what these gentlemen are trying to get to is, depending on your market, the numbers are going to be different. Know the numbers but, in your market. So so that was the question for me. Because I was coming in and that was my decision. Do I spend, you know, $600,000, put $150,000 down or whatever it is and, and, and buy me an eight unit, a 10 unit, a 12 unit, whatever, however deal I can make. Okay. And I'll get the same cash flow. Or do I buy a single family, put 5% down because I don't have to do any more than that. Three and a half on a yeah. FHA. Yeah, but I didn't do that. <laughs> I don't know, kind of a pain in the ass. <laughs> but you can't, you can't do that. So, but basically, you know, primary occupied financing, uh, Fannie, Freddie, vanilla, nothing special financing, right? So you, 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 very low down payment, no balloons, no, no nothing, right? Okay. So, and end up with the same cash flow. And management wise, you're using Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, their platform to manage the things. So you don't have to get good with QuickBooks. You don't have to get good with Buildium. You don't have to do any of that junk, okay? As a newbie, okay? Not only that, but you have, if, this, is the, this is the key to it. If the Airbnb model works, that means you are in a sexy market because it's not gonna work in a poor market. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you're looking to 10x your life and to be in a location that makes your heart sing, that's what's going to make the strategy work. Okay, so how can they quickly find out if that strategy could work in their market? They can create a free account on Airbnb, log on and see what's renting for what. And it's very easy. And I described the whole process in the book, but it's very easy. And where can they buy your book? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now Darren's taking over our job. It's, it's, it's called press, House press. Hacking, and it's on Amazon. That's amazing. And I even have uh, an audio book. Should we spell your last name carefully for people? <laughs> it's, it's the only book on house hacking on Amazon, y'all. I know what I'm doing.
Oh, oh there you go. He's Arizona native now. He said y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have your book. What are other ways that people can find you? Um, my website is www.justaskbenwhy.com. And my email is ben at justaskbenwhy.com. And I think I have like a LinkedIn account, but I haven't been to it in four years. So I, there you go. <laughs> and, and Darren, if, if people don't want to call Ben to, to say hi. <laughs> because they're scared. <laughs> scared? I was going to say, uh, if, like any of the scraps of the leftovers want to reach out to me. We were just talking about you are in Jersey yeah. and you've got a ton of clients looking to do exactly this with a duplex triplex. Yeah. There's no inventory. There's no inventory. As we know, the inventory is so low in the New York metropolitan area. It's the lowest I've seen it in, well, probably since I've been investing actually, which is absolutely crazy. So is this going to be a good strategy for that market? Yeah, absolutely, dude. Mm-hmm. That close to New York City, it's God given it's going to work in that, in, in that yeah. market. But the point is, is that you got to zig when everybody's asked. Everybody goes, listens to Bigger Pockets, uh, listens to Brandon Podcast, goes out to buy a duplex or a triplex. Fine. That's a great strategy. It works. But everything is cyclical. So when it doesn't work, like now, because there's no in there, what do you do? And what I've got is actually a lot more luxurious. It's a lot more private and it just works a lot better across, you know, across the board for me. Anyhow. And again, if uh, they want to reach out to me, it's Darren Sager. You can just do Darren Sager, bigger pockets on Google. That's what you need to do to find me. Thanks. Oh, yeah, you can, that. you can, you can find me in bigger pockets. Too. <laughs> That's I think most people have found me in bigger pockets. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there for years. Thank you so much for today. This was a ton of fun. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Amazing. Yeah, if you guys want to get into like more real estatey stuff, I'd be happy to. uh, And Ben may be coming out to uh, the New Jersey, New York area when in March. Uh, In in, yeah, we're talking March. All right, cool. Awesome. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> so. Well, thank you again so much. You're speechless. You're absolutely <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Well, actually, before we leave you, and uh, Darren, you can go first so Ben can have the last word. Um, what are some words to live by? Try. Go out and actually do something. You know, thinking about doing something and actually doing something are two different things. And I think most people in life just don't actually take that first step. And if you want any type of change in your life, you have to do a little bit every single day. It doesn't happen. There's, there's no lottery approach in anything that you do. So, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So there's some words of wisdom. I think I'm going to butcher it, but I think it's uh, Helen Keller. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes, Helen Keller. Um, it's not a Russian quote. Shut up, dude. Um, Jeez. Oh my God. You got Ben's speech on, for this on, year. This on, is great. On. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, uh, the only thing here, <laughs> the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Nice. Oh, that's great. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. That's what the whole zig when they zag thing is all about. Okay. It's not hard to zig. What's hard is to go against the grain and to go against everybody. But you know, it's 
kind of hard to make money when everybody else is trying to do it the same way. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's logical. So the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Helen Keller. All right. Thank you so much, Ben and Darren. This is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you so very much for listening. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.